Hey, it's great to see you today and to be with you today. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor, and I've got a message and a word today for you that I think will be encouraging uh, for, for your life and for your week and for this season that we're all going through. Uh, I'm so glad that you're joining us today, whether it's in person or online at one of our campuses or somewhere around the world. We are glad that you're taking time out of your schedule to be with us today. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 47. Genesis chapter 47. I'm going to look at just two verses, but those two verses are verses that you probably have read this narrative uh, of the life of Jacob in context of his, of his encounter with Joseph, as Joseph is, is now second in command only to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. But uh, he makes some statements that we just kind of read over, but that I think will be very insightful for what we're talking about today. So what are we talking about today? I want to talk about what do you do with the lemons in life? You know, you've heard the expression, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And that sounds really great, makes a great bumper sticker, maybe even a great... Instagram post or a shirt or whatever. But the truth of the matter is taking lemons in life, those things that can be very sour and very tart and, and not real pleasant, and turning it into something that's really enjoyable, that actually helps you, that's actually refreshing. And, and in the middle of this heat that we're dealing with here in Wisconsin in this last week, it has been one of those weeks where a fresh glass of ice cold lemonade would be so refreshing to have your lemons in life get to that point, how do you do that? So today what I want to do is I want to look at someone's life, and they kind of explain it for themselves, but I want to unpack it, of how life's lemons just made them sour, made them, well, not sweet at all. And if you look at what they're missing because they communicate this, you can see where we need to fill in the blanks to how to give aid to the lemons that life gives us. And so again, I wanna go back to Genesis chapter 47, and I wanna look at the life of Jacob. Now Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. So Abraham, according to scripture, Genesis tells us, was the one that God spoke to that says, I wanna make you the father of a great nation. He's the father of the nation of Israel. And so God has this incredible relationship with Abraham. Even when Abraham makes mistakes, God's grace and his mercy are so bountiful. And then it doesn't just end there. It goes into his son, Isaac. And Isaac is, is, is just this blessed individual, just kind of living on the blessings of his father in a way. But has his own great personal relationship with, with God. Then comes Jacob. Jacob is an individual who, his name means conniver. It means someone who's a deceiver. And Jacob is in this head-butting kind of back and forth with his brother Esau, who quite frankly was the first. Uh, they're twins, but, ja but Esau comes out first. And Jacob is in constant com competition with his, with his brother Esau over and over and over. And this, 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 this way that Jacob looks at life, it, it begins to, well, he has a lot of sour from his choices, from his life, even from his young life. And he never quite makes it to lemonade. It, it, it'll make sense as we get into this. Genesis chapter 47, verse 8, Jacob is standing before Pharaoh. He is now going to go and be with his son Joseph, whom he thought was dead, but is alive. 
And Joseph is second in command of the nation of, of, of Egypt, only to Pharaoh. And so Jacob, excuse me, Joseph has asked for Jacob and all of his brothers and all their family to come to Egypt and to basically, in the middle of a great drought and famine, to be rescued. So God uses all of these things and to, to bless them. And Pharaoh, the number one most powerful man in the world at that point in time, has a conversation with Jacob. He asked him, how old are you? And Jacob replied, or said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. So he's 130 years old at this point. My years have been few, difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers, speaking of Isaac and Abraham. Pharaoh asked him this question, how many years have you lived? Not how old, not how many birthdays, not how much time, but what have you done with your life? How many years have you lived? And in that moment, Jacob's life flashes before his eyes. 130 years, 1,560 months, 47,502 days, 1,140,048 hours of his life, more than 68 million seconds race through his mind. And then Jacob responds. He sums it up and he responds that his days have been too few, too futile, too fatal, and too final. His answer is filled with sour lemons, if you would. It's bitter vinegar. It's like a tart persimmon. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's the taste as sharp as the acid of pure lemon juice on your teeth's edge. That bothers me just to say that. His reply is filled with such a sour response. But his answer holds the mystery of how to handle life's lemons. That's what I want to unpack today. I don't want to look at the negative. I want to look at what was Jacob missing? How did he not take the lemons in life and turn them into lemonade? How did he not take the sour, depressing, disappointing, frustrating moments of his life and not flip those and turn them into lemonade? So I'm going to basically make an acrostic out of the word sour, S-O-U-R. The four letters will stand for the causes of living with life's lemons. And let me just say this. We're in a season, we're all in a season, where you're dealing with probably some level or some degree of frustration from things that are happening in our world, things that are happening in our nation, things that are happening in our state, things that are happening in our local communities, things that we have no ability to control. It's kind of like being in a traffic jam and there's nowhere to go. You're in this, in what should be a moving freeway, but yet you're parked, it feels like in a parking lot where you don't know how long you're going to be there. You don't know what's causing it. You don't know how to get out. And the reports that you're getting are all varied. It's frustrating. Just right now, just if you just take this season of our life, it can make you sour. And then if you extrapolate that over all the other things that happen in life and in marriage and in business and relationship and, and, and changes and challenges and ups and downs and, and getting the job or getting passed over for the, for, for the promotion or, or losing a job or being demoted or, or losing finances or losing this or that, all of these things come into play that life happens to all of us. Lemons are all a part of our lives. And especially it feels like in this season, in this particular season where all norms are out the window and we're very much living in a very abnormal space. How do we take those abnormalities, those frustrations, those situations, those lemons, if you would, and make lemonade? I want to look at that. 
I want to unpack this statement that Jacob gives to Pharaoh to show us how not to let the sour moments and the sour spaces in life sour us, but rather turn them around and use them for the good that God has. So the first lemon is purpose. The first lemon is purpose. It's struggling without a life's purpose. Sour, the S, struggling without a life's purpose. Jacob saw his life as one long, unending, disconnected time of wandering from here and there. Think about that. Jacob never got a sense of purpose in his life. He never developed a sense of destiny. He, he never saw the hand of God moving on his life. And people that are sour on life are usually sour because they're disappointed with the journey. Because they can't see the hand of God involved in it with them. They're unable to connect to what I call the, all the small pieces of life to the big picture. To take all the piece, small pieces of the puzzle and see how it makes this beautiful big picture. The Bible says that you and I serve a God who is calling the shots. Proverbs says that God turns the heart of the king wherever he wants it to go. The book of Romans says that all things work together for our good. Jacob looked at his life, but he only saw one long, lonely, limited journey. He drifted from one place to another place, searching for things that could satisfy him. That's typically what we try to do if we're not careful. He looked for it occupationally and shepherding from one place to another place to another place. He tried to find it in finance. If, if, he, if, his, if his financial bandwidth would have been recorded, if Forbes magazine had its top 100, he would definitely be in it in his day and time. He looked for it relationally. He had four wives and 13 children. Just think about that for a moment. And he looked for it spiritually. There are four different distinct encounters he has with God. Yet the problem is he only bumps into God. Too many people just bump into God. They never really encounter God. Again, they don't connect the pieces. Jacob kept testing, but all he could find in life was the sour. Now, maybe if that's you, you go, hey, I kind of identify with that. I, I've tried to find fulfillment here and here and here and there, and, and I don't really feel like I'm connecting, and I really feel like I don't see the big picture. Let me give you some things that will maybe help you to find your life's purpose. There's three parts I want to give you just real quick. This is kind of a subpart of this first S in sour, which is basically standing without purpose in life. Three parts to life purpose. First, does it bring meaning to me? Whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is that you're accomplishing, whatever it is that you're endeavoring to do, does it bring meaning to me? Success and significance are not the same thing. Princess Diana had success, but Mother Teresa had significance. Life has to be more than money, awards, relationships, accumulations. Life has to have meaning. Second question, does it stretch me? Does it stretch me? Jacob peaked out way early in life. Jacob was 91 years of age when Joseph was born. Now that sounds old till you realize Jacob would live 147 years. So for illustration's sake, if Jacob was at the top of his game when he turned 91, the year that Joseph was born, how do you put it on coast for 60 years? That's sad, but look around. If we're not careful, we just kind of go, eh, I'm just kind of floating along. I'm just kind of like I'm on a lazy river and I hit a warm spot here or there and that's about the only excitement that I get. Third question, will it outlast me? 
This deals with the legacy of your life. What are you going to leave behind? Of all the things that you're doing, of all the things that you're involved in, what is left behind? Not just what are you doing today, not just what are you receiving today, but what is left behind? Jacob came to the realization that he hadn't lived well enough to have much to leave behind. That first lemon, purpose. Second lemon, losses. It's overestimating what he lost. Overestimating what he lost. He describes his life with these two words. Few and unpleasant have been the days of his life. Few and unpleasant. Jacob spent too much time crying over spilled milk. He could name all the losses of his life. Just just listen to this. The book of Genesis kind of records this, but for the sake of time, I'll give them to you. Here's a highlight reel of Jacob's losses. He grew up in a dysfunctional family. He stole his brother's birthright because he was a deceiver, a competitor. Famine ran him out of his own homeland. He has struggles between his dad's businesses and, and, and their arch rivals and enemies, the Philistines. He lies to his father. He steals a family blessing. He runs from his brother Esau to keep from dying. He cheats his father-in-law and tricks him. Uh, he has rivalry between his wives. I bet he did. Remember, he had four. Uh, he, he has a passive role in raising his 12 sons. He has a fear of being reunited with his brother Esau that literally paralyzes him. His his daughter Dinah was raped. It's the death of his wife Rachel, who was the most loved of the four that he had. There was animosity between him and his son Joseph. And he had a belief that his son Joseph, although there was animosity, he was his favorite son, had died. Life will always take a sour turn when you count your losses instead of your gains. Everybody has problems. If you look at Jacob's success, listen to this. He had multiple encounters with God. He was prosperous. He had a large family. He was reunited with his brother Esau and all was good. He he made right with his father-in-law Laban and that was good. He was able to see that his son Joseph, his favorite one, was not dead, but was alive. And he was reunited with him. And he got to live the last 20, about 20 years of his life in unreal prosperity and a blessing with his son, Joseph, and all the brothers. You see, sometimes in life, if we're not careful, we just focus on what we lose, what we lose, what we lose, what we lose. We focus on the downside. Is there a downside? Oh, yeah. You got to be realistic about it. And the world that we're living in right now with the, this coronavirus and this pandemic and, and, and just such the stresses and strains in our world, there's some really negative, nasty stuff that's going on. The truth of the matter is, is there's loss. And quite frankly, as Christ followers, if anybody gets this, we should get this. When sin entered the world, so did sickness, death, and disease. There's loss. And, and we were never created for that. We were never created for physical separation through death. We, we weren't created to just to be okay with disease uh, or a sickness. It, it's very uncomfortable to us. The reason why there's fear from these things and there's an uncomfortability with these things and, and, and there's a frustration with these things is because when you and I were made in the image and likeness of God, we, we, we were made to live forever. And sin separates that. Sin creates that gap. Sin makes that wedge. And it's the enemy of your soul and my soul trying to, kind of, trying to kind of magnify the losses 
in our life and, and, and magnify the bad and, 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 and downplay the, that God gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that we no longer have to be bound or live under sin, but we can have life and life to the full and eternal life through Jesus Christ, not by our own actions, not by our goodness or our grace or our mercy, but by his. So is there bad in the world? Yeah. Is there destruction? Is there, is there some, yeah. Are there losses? Absolutely. But there's also a God who is a good, good father that comes in and that he seeks to restore and to redeem what the enemy of our soul tries to take from us. And the question is, is how do you look at that? If you look at everything that it's just half empty, not even talking about realism, I'm talking about a negative attitude. If it's just focused on losses, you're going to be sour in life. But if you understand that you serve a God who gives and takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord, that's the words of Job as he went through unreal amounts of suffering. You realize that God's in control and that the gains in the end far outweigh the losses on the short term, even in this crazy season that we're living in. Let me move on as I wrap up. The third lemon of four lemons, but the third is failure. That'd be the you. Underachieving your personal expectations. Underachieving your personal expectations. Jacob says this of his life when he responds to Pharaoh. Nor have they attained the years that my fathers have lived. In other words, what Jacob was saying is that he hadn't been able to reach the goals he had set for himself as a young man. Jacob grew up in the shadows of his grandpa Abraham and his father Isaac. And both of them had done very well. Again, I would not want to try to live up to either one of those levels of expectation. But he just doesn't feel like he measures up. And the Bible speaks clearly of the dangers of comparison, that, that we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to anyone else except to that of Jesus. And we fall short, but he makes up the difference as being that older brother to us. See, uh, the, the truth of the matter is, is that, is that in our lives, uh, we set goals and we have thoughts and we have ideas and we have aspirations. And most of the time it's, it doesn't quite work the way we think it's going to work. And that's where we have to make some tough decisions to go, hey, when I look at my life now, I'm 48, I'll be 49 my birthday, almost 50 years on this planet. There are some things in my life that are so much better than I could have ever imagined. There are some things in life that, man, I quite missed it there. And I don't know that I really hit that and did that well. And there there, I could look at my life in one aspect and go, well, this didn't happen and this didn't happen and this didn't happen. I'm still struggling with this and with this and with this and with it. The truth of the matter is, is that the good way outweighs the negative. And maybe you go, well, hey, that's great for you, man. I mean, you're, you're a pastor and, you know, and, and, and life is pretty good and you've got a great wife and a great family and all of that. And, and I would say, yes, I have a great wife and a great family and great daughters and all but the truth is, is that even if you've made some really bad choices and some really bad decisions and you look at your life and you go, man, I just didn't measure up. And man, I just didn't. 
God can make up that difference. God can make up that time. God can help you to redeem that. Does it mean you get a do-over? Does it mean you get a mulligan? No, 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 no. What it means is that all of that that you've learned, you give that to the Lord, and God has a way in, in a very quick and short order to be able to bless you if you'll just stop for a moment and see it. See, Jacob is standing before the most powerful man on the world in, in the world at that time, Pharaoh. And even though there had been losses, God was redeeming all of those things. God had been working all those things. God had been doing all those things. And if Jacob just stepped back for a minute to realize, hey, man, my life is going to be so notable that people that are struggling are going to talk about this. And there's going to be a book called the Bible that's going to be written. And my life and the story of my family is going to be an inspiration and motivation to help people. And, and, and not only that, but, but, but my, man, my, my, I, it will be through me and through Joseph and through what the enemy tried to use to destroy my own son and his brothers that God will actually redeem Israel. See, Israel is saved through this famine, not because they were living in the right place, but because God took Joseph, Jacob's son, out of the land of Israel and, and he was enslaved and he winds up into the land of Egypt God gives him favor, and that favor turns into an opportunity, and that opportunity makes him the second of command uh, over the nation of, of Egypt. And when Israel finds in, it, it's herself in this place where she is about to, to be completely decimated by a famine, God uses that thing, that situation, that loss, that negative, and actually it's what saves Israel. But because Jacob is so depressed, so negative, so focused on the losses, so, so focused on, I didn't quite measure up, this didn't quite, he doesn't get to see it, and he doesn't get to enjoy it in the last 20 years of his life, and that's what God wanted to do. See, the enemy wants to rob you of that. He wants to take that. He wants to magnify your past and your mistakes way over your present and your future. You have to push that beyond. Jesus said, yesterday's gone, today's not come, so live in the moment of today. Let me move on. The fourth lemon is the God connection. This is what makes these first three possible. Jacob refuses to what I call dig a spiritual well. He refuses to dig a spiritual well. Jacob's father, Isaac, and his grandfather, Abraham, all dug wells, physical wells for water. But wells in scripture symbolize a connection to life. And we know that life is through the spirit of God and the spirit of God is represented through water all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so Abraham and Isaac dig wells and he sees this example, but yet he never digs a well. He never goes back to, even Isaac goes back to the wells of his father had dug. He goes back to that connection. It's, it's a spiritual metaphor of going back to the faith of your father, back to the faith of your grandfather. Instead, this third generation, he just kind of flounders. He has multiple encounters with God. There are four different distinct encounters with God, but yet they never seem to stick. Genesis 28, Genesis 32, Genesis 35, they tell of encounters with God. He has encounters with God that his father Isaac doesn't have. Only his father Abraham has encounters that are, are probably more personal, but the frequency of the encounters that he has are greatest with him, but yet he just doesn't seem to get it. And, 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 and he because he keeps bumping into God, but he never connects with God. And many people... Uh, here's what happens in life. They, they resolve to change. They resolve to want something different or want something better. But, but it's, they fail to realize that God's the one that changes us. See, I, I can't change me. Only God can do that. 
Why? Because I didn't create me. God created me. This is where evolution fails to understand that God created me. God created you. It's not happenstance. It's not by accident. If it was, then, then you could control everything in your world. You would have the power and the volition and the will to control everything in your world and everything in your life with a simple pill or a fix or willpower. The truth of the matter is, is that you can't because you didn't create you. Who created you? God did. He's the giver, he's the author, and the finisher, the taker of life. And so life is in him. And, 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 and the truth of the matter is, is that when God changes you and I, he doesn't just change the external. He goes to the heart. He goes to the very core. And four different times he tries to change Jacob. He tries to help Jacob. He tries to show him, I want to change you. I want to use you. I want to. But Jacob just can't see it. Why? Because of the sourness of life. Why? Because of the way he viewed everything. Why? Because he didn't get off of his page and get onto God's page. Many of us want to turn over a new leaf, but God wants to give you and I a new life. Woo, that'll preach. Life doesn't be ha have to become sour unless we let it. So let me end with this. If I was to have a little illustration today, I, I would do it this way. I would have four lemons here, and those four lemons would represent the sourness of life, maybe four different distincts, major losses, defeats, frustrations in life. Maybe one of those lemons would be, you're there right now. And I'd have a pitcher, and that pitcher would represent your life. And so we would cut those lemons up, and if you taste them and, and you smell them, they're, they're, there's a sourness that's there. And, 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 and you begin to, but don't just let the lemons sit there and go, yeah, that's what all I got, and I just got lemons. No, 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 no. If you want to take the lemons and make lemonade, you have to cut the lemon. You have to open it. You have to look at it. You have to go, what's God trying to say? And I'm going to squeeze that lemon out and squeeze some of the pulp and squeeze all the juice, and I'm going to get every bit of it that I possibly can. Listen, even in valleys, even disappointments, even in losses, even in seasons like this, what is God trying to say to you? What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you? I firmly believe that God is on the precipice of heaven saying to the church, I have a plan. This is all under control. I am at work. I am doing things. I am building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Our best things are not behind us. They're in front of us. If we'll just sit in this moment and go, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Holy Spirit, what's my role? Holy Spirit, how do I help? There are more people losing their mind right now. And we know the answer is Jesus. And they don't need a sermon per se, but they need someone like Jesus with skin on to walk into their life and give love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and understanding and self-control, those fruits of the Spirit, those lemons sometimes, if you, those things in your, and they just simply need that to be there. You juice that and you juice that, all four of those, till all the contents of that is in that, that picture which represents your life. And then what do you do? You get the living water, Jesus, and you begin to pour him into that situation and allow him to come in and allow him to begin to, and he'll begin to dilute who began to transform, that, that H2O began to chemically come in and change the compounds and change what's going on and began to work, and that, but it's not over yet. Then, you, you know, everybody knows good lemonade's made with a good cup of sugar. Amen? Can I get a witness in that? And that sweetness of the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit and the sweetness of the Holy Spirit, he's the one that leads us to all truth. He's the one that leads and guides us. The Holy Ghost, and we just simply pour him into that mix. And then what happens? 
thing. Let God, like just like a big ladle, let God begin to stir and mix up all the sourness, all that the enemy tries to use for harm, all the enemy tries to use for good, and we began to squeeze out those lemons. We began to say, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? What? I know it's not for bad. I know it's not for evil. The world meant it for bad. The enemy meant it for bad, but you meant it for good. Hope Jesus come into this situation. Jesus, we just soak it in prayer, and we just do that, and then we let the Holy Spirit, let his sweetness come in and change our sourness and change us, and we allow God to stir that up. And then what happens? You have a refreshing glass of lemonade. Why? Because you refuse to let four lemons sit on the counter. You refuse to live life without purpose. You refuse to sit in your losses. You refuse to, 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 to sit in, in frustration over your past. You, you refuse to sit there and, and not have a God connection. No, no, you invite Jesus. You invite the Holy Spirit. You invite God the Father to come into the mix and to mix this up. And then what you have is something that everybody wants. See, the people that you're looking at their life that have a life that you go, that's a life that I want. It's not that their life is absence of lemons. They've just figured out how to make lemonade. Woo! It's, it, it, it's not that they haven't had bad. It's not that they haven't had disappointment. It's not that they haven't had loss. It's literally that they've invited Jesus and the Holy Ghost and God the Father to come in and to do a work. And it's turned it into something that's refreshing. And that's what our world needs. All our world has right now is lemons. But they don't have God the Father. They don't have Jesus the Son. They don't have the, the person of the Holy Spirit to come in and to make that. They don't know what they're supposed to do. So they're just sitting there with lemons and it's sour and it's just negative. But but the truth of the matter is, is they look at you or they look at me and they go, you're not perfect and you're messed up and you've had losses. Yes, I have. How are you smiling? How are you overcoming? How are you living this life? It's because my life isn't my own. It's in him. It's in Jesus that I live and that I move and that I have my being. And I, the created one, place my hands in the life of the, in the hands of the creator to make change out of my life. And he has taken what the enemy's tried to use to destroy me, to make me negative, to make me sour, to defeat me. And he's flipped it and used it for my good. That's what God wants to do for you today. That's what God wants to do in his church today. That's what God wants to do in this season today. That's the reason why I am so excited about the season that we're living in. The lemons, no, it's what God's gonna do through this. So I wanna pray for you right now. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would just speak, that you would minister, that you would strengthen every person that's watching. God, I pray, Lord, as those lemons in life that are there, that we identify those and we call those for what they are. We don't live in denial. We call them for what they are. But let us take them and open them up and squeeze them out. And let us invite you, Holt Jesus, to come in and, and to fill and let the Holy Spirit come in and do its sweetening work. And God, let you stir that up to take and do what you want to do. Lord, we give ourselves to you palms up. We surrender ourselves to you palms up. We're, we're identifying our frustrations. We're identifying the limitations. We're identifying the losses. We're identifying the lemons, but we refuse to let the lemons sit on the counter. We are going to use this for your good and for your glory in Jesus' name. And help us as a church. As a church, again, we don't have the ability to make lemonade out of lemons in and of ourselves, but when we invite you, we don't just bump into you. We connect with you. We allow you to change us. Man, it creates this amazing thing. And I pray, let us as a church be that type of light, that type of example, 
not of our perfection, but of the work you can do even in our limitations in our world today. And I pray for our world. I pray for the racial unrest that's going on. Lord, we know that you hate racism of any kind. That we as a church of Jesus Christ, we stand in opposition of any racial injustice of any kind. And what we're seeing going on in our world today is not pleasing to you. It's a work of the enemy. It's a souring of life. And God, I pray that you would show up and that you would do what only you have the ability to do. And I pray for this because here's the reality is, is I have the answer, but you're the only one that can make it happen. And you say in your word, if your people who are called by your name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, turn from their racism, turn from their injustice, turn from their, their hatred, turn from their divisiveness, turn from whatever it is that you'll heal, that you will show up and heal our land. So that's why I pray this prayer today. Let the sourness of what's happening in our world God, make something sweet out of it. Do what only you have the ability to do in our lives and through our communities and in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.